believe the unbelievable, never take no for an answer and a dream the impossible. We're here with the one and only Tony Fernandez, CEO of Air Asia, also an owner of Queen's Park Ranges as well. And today we talk about entrepreneurship. Thank you so much for, for being here and uh, for, for giving your time. You are a true inspiration when it comes to entrepreneurship. So thank you, brother, for, for, for coming. Well, thanks for inviting me, John. And uh, yeah, looking forward to it. You know, this is really about giving back to the next generation. I know, Tony, you've done some amazing things. You, you know, you started as an accountant. <laughs> you know, you went, you were, then went to the music industry, then into the airline industry. You know, Air Asia is now, it's just, it's, I mean, you've, you've flown over 100 million passengers, 20,000, over 20,000 staff, 147 destinations, 24 countries. You've done some amazing, amazing work. And you've, I mean, you've really disrupted the disrupted, which is, which is pretty amazing. So... Tony, do you want to give people just a quick, you know, a little bit of background on, on, on who you are and what you do? A lot of people already know who you are, but there's also people who don't know your background. And I'd love to, um, um, you know, have my the audience listening uh, know a little bit more about you. So if you could just spend maybe two or three minutes kind of going through your background, that'd be awesome. Sure. Um, uh, I don't know where to start, actually. But as uh, thank you, John. Thank you for the intro. And uh, nice to meet everyone. Uh, I started off... Um, after college as an accountant, uh, realized that I really wasn't cut out to be an accountant. And uh, I was a musician, uh, wrote to every record company, every record company rejected me. And uh, one record company gave me uh, an interview, which was Virgin. I, uh, I got rejected there as well and was walking out of the door. And Richard Branson was walking in and I thought, look, shall I be a shy Malaysian? Or shall I grab this opportunity? It's probably the first lesson in entrepreneurship, which is always, if a, if there's a gift horse in your mouth, if, if there's an opportunity, don't think, just grab it. So I said something to Richard uh, to get him interested in in myself, and uh, we started talking at the door well. And then he um, he invited me for a cup of coffee. We were, we were talking about Malaysia and all kinds of things. And suddenly he said, why are you here? And I said, I came for an interview. And uh, but I was rejected, and he said, "No, there's something special about you." And uh, lo and behold, within the next hour, I was an employee of Virgin. Uh, so I was at Virgin for a couple of years, and one day Richard said he was going to start an airline, and I thought that was kind of crazy thing to do. So I, I resigned and, and left Virgin, and joined uh, Warner Music, and uh, was in Warner Music for 12 years. Went through many mergers. Uh, Warner Music, and then Time Warner, and then AOL, Time Warner, and that was one merger too many for me. And uh, you know, cut a long story short, in '75 Rockefeller Plaza, I uh, quit and uh, uh, sold my stock options. Uh, went to my boss and said, you know, I, I I don't believe in the future of this of this uh, merger. Uh, I want to leave. He was thrilled. He always wanted to get rid of me because he thought I was after his job and uh, gave me a lot of money to leave. I uh, flew back to London, sitting in a bar in Hampstead Heath um, and uh, saw Stelios of EasyJet on TV. I thought, wow, what a great idea, low-cost airlines. Took a bus to Luton Airport, saw everything in orange, people flying to Barcelona. Uh, Paris for nine pounds and I thought I'm gonna do this now there's a very fine line between brilliance and stupidity but I thought okay I only live once 
I was uh, 36 at that time. And I thought, I want to do this. And if I fail, I fail. I don't want to sit there at 55 and say, I wish I did it. So I came back to Malaysia and started uh, trying to buy an airline. And in the end, I bought one airline with three others for 25 cents uh, in 2001. We signed the deal three days before 9-11 when the whole aviation industry changed. Um, but on December the 8th, 2001, we took over AirAsia, 220 terrified staff who had seen me in the music business and suddenly I was the CEO of their airline, two planes and uh, two routes. Um, roll on 19 years, pre-COVID, we had grown to 245 planes, uh, carried uh, over 600 million people, uh, 90 million passengers a year, and uh, had expanded our airline all over uh, Southeast Asia and a couple outside of uh, Southeast Asia. And in that period now, just before COVID, we started pivoting our airline into the digital world and building a super app, a neobank, and a fantastic logistics business, uh, all from our data. And uh, yeah, it's been um, 19 years of, uh, of interesting time. Thought I'd seen every crisis until COVID had come. That's kind of it in five minutes, John. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, what you've been through as well, you know, you're talking about some of the biggest challenges and we will definitely come to that. And I know you're doing some big, you know, things in the, in the, in the digital space as well with all the data that you've got. You know, I know you've, you've you know, right now revolutionizing some of the ways things are, are being done, especially with Big Pay, your, your financial platform as well. And also Big Life, with you've got over 15 million members on there, which is, which is just amazing with what you've built and how you're pivoting as well. So... Um, for my audience who listen, a lot of them are aspiring entrepreneurs and they really want to kind of start that business and get the business off the ground. And it's just amazing that you bought Air Asia for, you know, one ringgit, which when you ask people, how can you buy an airline? And at that time, you had no resources. You just had this passion, this, this I guess, burning desire to make something work. And probably at the time, um, I'm guessing you, you didn't have any experience in airlines. I mean, you were in the music industry and then you went into airlines when you pivot into that i mean like how, how did you do that and what's the thought process behind that when you have no idea on how airlines work yeah i mean it, it, it's funny you're saying that but it's absolutely true i i had i was in the music business i, I produced music i sold music um i knew a balance sheet but i've always i always had that feeling that business is business it's about maximizing a top line minimizing your cost uh, and generating uh, um, a, a good balance sheet with good cash. Accountants can make a PNL look like anything, but bottom line is how much cash do you have? And um, I thought whether I was running the music business or whether I was running an airline, um, or, you know, it was the same principles. It was about uh, maximizing that top line, driving demand, creating a product that people wanted. Um, and if you have a product that people want, then making sure they know about it and maximizing your marketing and PR on that, minimizing your costs, um, increasing efficiency to the maximum, and hence generating as much cash as possible, which gives you a strong balance sheet. Um, you know, the, one of the wonderful things about the airline business um, is that you can sell forward. Uh, we didn't have any cash, really. And, and you know, there was, there was no one there to support us. 
three guys from the music business didn't seem very convincing in starting up an airline. So no bank gave us any finance. Um, and so the only way we could finance the airline was sell our tickets uh, forward. So we opened up our airline uh, seats for the whole year and sold as much forward with the hope that we were going to continue to grow and so we could roll that cash. And that's um, kind of how we started. And I think in some ways, because I didn't come from the airline business, I didn't have any preconceptions of uh, you know, what was right and what was wrong. I came in with a very fresh mind. And I thought there was so many things in the airline business that was so complicated um, that if we just kept it simple, and we kept using this word KISS, keep it simple, stupid, um, we could increase our efficiencies dramatically. And uh, that paid off. We ended up being the lowest cost airline in the world in our first year of operation um, and generated positive cash flow from, from year one. Uh, but yeah, no, and I, but then I worked. I worked really hard. You know, I, I would stay overnight. I'd learn how to change a, a tire on a plane. Um, I knew all about brakes. I knew all about the engines. Um, I went into a simulator to learn how to fly a plane. Not that I can, but I learned enough that a pilot couldn't um, fool me. And um, I worked hard on the culture. I thought the airline culture was so compartmentalized. Um, but I think it was an advantage not to know anything about the airline business, but I don't think you can uh, really be hugely successful if you just sit in your office. So I, I got my hands dirty. I was a cabin crew. I carried bags. I did everything to really understand the nuts and bolts of the industry. But the principles of business, whether you're running an airline, whether you're in the music business, whether you're in Nike, um, are all the same. Yeah, and, and that's what I love about the, 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 your your whole mission and what you do at, at Asia Tone. I mean, you you are you've got this the reputation where everybody just wants to work for Air Asia. I mean, the culture that you've built and some of these people that you've nurtured from within, you've got, you know, Lagans going from, you know, cabin crew to CEO of Air Asia in Singapore. You've got Celia who started in guest services, now the CEO of uh, Air Asia in Macau. You've got Coogan started his dispatch and now first officer. I just think it's so amazing that you have created this culture that allows your, um, team to thrive. I mean, we have over twenty thousand people as part of Air Asia. I just think that's 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 huge, huge culture. Like one thing that you say and and how you empower people is is just amazing. I want to talk a little bit about that as about your talent pool. A lot of businesses that start, they always focus on sales, 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 sales. Give me the money, give me the money, and you know, and that's very much what you did when you started the business. But I also think what's equally important, Tony, is is the talent because. I personally think, and maybe you and I, um, you know, we, we've kind of talk, talked about this uh, offline, but, you know, becoming a leader is having and being surrounded by people around you who are better than you at what you do. You know, like I, I wasn't the smartest kid in school. I was, you know, dyslexic and didn't do well, but I still managed to take a company public. And, and that's because I'm surrounding myself with people who are smarter than me. So what's the thought process when you're starting a company and then focusing on the selling and building the business, but also at the same time, okay, I've got to get these great people to work with me. Yeah, um, John, I've got to say, you've, you've really done your research. <laughs> I'm very impressed. Um, we, we really have, uh, from the very beginning, um, focused on, on, on people and talent. Uh, I didn't have cash like many other companies, and uh, but I had a good product. But I thought my biggest asset, and it continues to be 19 years on, 
as we pivot from an airline into a digital business is to surround yourself with great people. And um, I think the unconventional thing we did, and as an Asian company, it was very unconventional, is that we didn't say you had to go to Oxford or Cambridge or you had to have, you know, five A's and whatever. We, we just said, if you want to be the best, we will celebrate you. And uh, there were so many uh, great talents that just never had a chance to be talented. Some were because of economics. You know, they left school when they were 13 or 14. Um, some because they just never given a chance. So I think one of the great things we had, and, and you've mentioned some of those, is um, that we were able to turn raw diamonds into diamonds and that we nurtured talent. The first big investment I, I made, actually, when we only had seven planes and we had a little bit of cash, it was a big decision for me and my partners, but I, I worked hard on it, was to build an academy. Because I said, you can have all the metal you want, but if you don't have the right people and the right culture, you know, we're, we're kind of screwed. And it's worked in 90, and people said, yeah, you could have that kind of flat structure and you can be buddies with everyone when you had 200 people. How are you going to do it when you grow? You know, we're 24,000. Now, I don't know every single person in the airline like I used to when we started 19 years ago. But we're still a flat structure. We still dress down. We don't have offices. We don't really have titles. We haven't had a single industrial action in, in the 19 years that we've been in operation. Not one. Um, there's no unions. And it's a very flat, family-orientated culture. And it can be done. It's hard work. But I think running a company is 50% management. It's 50% walking around, knowing your people, supporting them, understanding their jobs. And uh, we've, we've worked hard at it. But what we didn't have in cash, we made up in passion and great people and defying the normal. You know, when I was carrying bags uh, in East Malaysia, I was talking to a young lad and I thought, wow, you're super smart. And I said, look, why don't, you, why don't you become a pilot? And he said, oh, I left school at 13, et cetera. And I said, it doesn't matter. You're smarter than me. And, uh, you know, we, we sponsored him to go through and take the pilot exams. He got the highest marks in the Malaysian Flying Academy. And today, he's a captain um, in AirAsia. So he joined to carry bags, and now he's a captain. And he's soon about to be an instructor. Um, and so we've been able to... to to nurture talent, and now you've got an organization that everyone believes they can do anything in this organization. Uh, we took an intern in who became my assistant, who today has been promoted to head of e-commerce. Um, and that is an amazing energy when you have a group of 20,000 people that feel that they can achieve anything in this company. And so you're so right, John. Um, you know, you can't put it in a balance sheet. You can't measure it. But I think one of the strengths of a company is the people and how you turn them from raw diamonds into diamonds and how you are able to find things in them that they didn't even know they could do. Um, I constantly hear from my staff, oh, no, I can't do this. I'm not sure. But, you know, we know it's in them. And so we give them that chance. There were no female pilots in, in, in Asia, in Southeast Asia, when I took over. And I remember asking my chief pilot, why are there no female pilots? And he came up with the most ridiculous answer, which can never be re repeated in public. And I said, you know, if, if a woman can run a country, she can certainly fly a plane. And uh, at the last count, we had the highest percentage of female pilots of any airline in, in the world. And the other day, other day was history. You know, captain was female, co-pilot was female, all the um, uh, cabin crew were female, and the chief engineer was female. So it was a very 
historic time for me and a very emotional time for me. So, um, you know, uh, talent is, is that secret as an entrepreneur? What you may not have in cash, what you may have is a great idea, um, but it's the people that are going to execute that idea and surround yourself with great people. I love that. In fact, you know, what, what I love about what you do, Tony, is that, you know, in 2011, I had the privilege of sharing the stage with, with Richard Branson in, in Excel doing a keynote. And I look at all the work that he's doing when it comes to branding yourself. And it's funny you tell that story where you walk, you walk walking out and he said, there's something in you, you know, something special in you. And now, you know, look at where you are. And I even saw the, uh, the, the post that you did where Richard actually worked for you for a day. How, how, how was that? <laughs> Yeah, well, we, we both had Formula One teams and we knew we weren't going to win anything. So we created our own. I mean, you know, Richard is the master of publicity and the master of branding. And he said, Tony, let's create a race between us. And whoever wins that in the whole season, that was the first season uh, we were in Formula One. And he said, whoever uh, <clears throat> gets more points, the loser has to be a stewardess on the other one's airline. So you know, um, if he lost, he had to be a stewardess on AirAsia. If he won, um, I had to be a stewardess on uh, Virgin Atlantic. Um, I won. I think he was thrilled I was won. I won because Richard loves dressing up as a woman. And uh, I chose a nice flight for him from Perth to Kuala Lumpur. Uh, he, he raised extra money. We, we did it as a charity flight. We raised a lot, actually. And um, he shaved his legs for for an extra half a million pounds, uh, dressed up as a stewardess and uh, worked the plane for uh, eight hours from Perth to Kuala Lumpur. So I got my dream that my first boss finally got to work for me. I love that. That's amazing. And, you know, I, I love how you're able to, you know, there's a lot of CEOs, there's a lot of public companies out there, they they don't really stress on social media. And I've, I've checked out some of the things that you're doing and, and I just look at the way you use social media, how you brand, how you market, and you know, how you created that phrase that now anyone can fly. I think that's just amazing. And so when, when we talk about marketing and branding, because a lot of, again, the listeners think they definitely want to know the thought process on, because when you took over AirAsia, the AirAsia wasn't red. I mean, now it's iconic. Anytime you see a red plane flying, oh, that's Air Asia. Anytime you see the air stewardesses, you know, wearing the red, that's Air Asia. So, I mean, I mean it's, it's become iconic. It's almost like a fashion brand, if you will, now. So, so what was the thought process between turning it from the old Air Asia with, I think it was black and blue, to now this amazing brand that you've created? I know because Asians, I don't know, we always like red. I mean, I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but I'd, I'd, love, the, I'd love for the listeners to, to hear about the thought process behind that. Yeah, so you know, um, I, I'm. I think one of the one of the things entrepreneurs miss out is um, if you go back to what is a business process. If, if I take the music industry first, um, you make a record, so you could have a great singer, but no great song. You're not going to have a hit. You could have a, a great song, but a terrible singer. So you've got to go and have the package: a great song and a great artist. And that gives you a great product. From that great product, the next thing is, is making sure the whole world knows about it. So that's about branding. That's about marketing. That's about PR and, and strategic advertising. Um, and then finally, uh, everyone knows you have a great product. Um, you've made everyone know. Sorry, you've got a great product. Everyone knows about it. Then you've got to make sure people know how to buy it. 
So when I took over Air Asia, we realized that we had a great product. Everyone wants to fly cheap. Everyone wants to travel to places they never knew about. Um, and so uh, we knew we had a great product. Uh, but too many times, people forget about the marketing and the branding, especially the branding. And it's always really difficult to persuade boards and finance directors about branding because you can't really measure it straight away. You know, when you when you spend money on TV or you spend money on Google, you can generally quantify the return. But when you invest in a brand, it's very hard to quantify and it's very hard to put it. But to me, it's the single most important thing as an entrepreneur is that you should invest in your brand. And there are two aspects of a brand. One is internal branding, and you've got to make sure every single one of your staff know what you stand for and what your brand is. And that's why I came up with Now Everyone Can Fly, because everyone in the company knew that was that was our ambition. Our ambition was to make flying uh, affordable to the common man. When I took over at AirAsia, only 6% of Malaysians flew, 2% uh, of Indonesians, and about 3% of Thais. Now everyone flies. And so we knew that was our, our mantra. That was our internal brand. And to get there, there was obviously lots of other internal brands, efficiency, cost, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's the, the external brand. So once you know what your mission is, um, then you try and work it. Now, if you think about when I took over AirAsia, they, they had a bird as the logo. I always thought, and I always still think why airlines are obsessed with animals. You know, we have all kinds in Southeast Asia, lions, tigers, you know, insects, all kinds of things. And, uh, and there was AirAsia. Now, I didn't have much money. And if you think of the greatest brands in the world, they generally have one image, right? So if you think of Nike, you're all thinking of the swoosh. If I say Coca-Cola, you're thinking of Coca-Cola and italics. Um, uh, you know, if I think, say, Shell, you're thinking of the Shell logo. So I said, look, let's drop, let's drop the bird. It's meaningless. It means you have to promote two images, your name and uh, the bird, uh, let's just use AirAsia. Um, and I really tried hard. Colors are important. And many logos have many different colors. I just wanted one. Again, um, it's easier. I like simple, clean brands and simple brands to understand. Uh, and so I went with um, uh, our name. I changed the font. Uh, to make it a soft font that was easy. And I tried really hard not to be red, to be honest, John. I tried really hard because everyone thinks I want to be Richard Branson. And just for the official record, and me and Richard have laughed about this, you know, about going to the moon. And I said, look, I have no interest in going to the moon. You know, what, what are you going to do when you get to the moon? You won't have John Lee interviewing you up there for a start. Uh, so I, I... Tried really hard, but it's such a strong color, and it's a great color. And no other airline had it. Malaysian Airlines was blue and red. Uh, Singapore Airlines was yellow and blue. Uh, Thai International was purple. And so red was just out there for me. So um, I grabbed it. I changed everything to red. I dropped the bird, used the logo. And at that time, the internet was just starting, and I wanted to be a digital company. Uh, and I wanted to sell tickets on the internet because I knew travel agents. I wanted to control my distribution. I didn't want to be in the hands of third parties. 
So even though we were little with only two planes, I went out on this internet-only distribution strategy, which was kind of revolutionary because no one bought tickets on the internet and there was very low credit card penetration. But I knew that if you had a good product, a strong brand, people would, would come to us. You would, you would create that demand. So we painted AirAsia.com, which is our website, uh, on the plane. My chief marketing officer said, look, we've got no money to really advertise. Tony, can you wear a red cap with AirAsia on it and make controversial statements so the press would write about you? Um, and those were the beginnings of our brand, uh, which was a little bit of a Robin Hood, Help the Common Man, uh, Red, and uh, the AirAsia.com. Um, and yeah, it is a powerful color. And if no one owns it, it's the best thing. Well, I just love how you've branded that color as well, even the cover of your book. And by the way, if anyone who hasn't read Tony's book yet, um, go to Amazon and, and look up Flying High. And you'll see the front cover of um, his, his, the front cover is black and white, but the cap is actually in red. And I, I just love that. I mean, just, it's just so masterfully and subtly done. And it's just very classy. I appreciate them. You know, you, you're leading the way in this. And Tony, I want to talk a little bit about um, big pay. You know, I always tell the people, because we run, run, run rooms here on business entrepreneurship and marketing, branding. And, you know, I always say that the, 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 the new currency is data. I always say that to everybody, the new currency data, and you've amassed masses of amounts. I mean, your own website alone has had 60, well, 65 million impressions a month, which is insane. I mean, that's like a population of a, of a, of a, you know, a country or a city. It's, it's just it's insane. So, and, you know, you've seen a lot of the tech companies. You've seen the Ubers. You've seen the Grabs. You've seen the, you know, Spotify's coming along. And, you know, you've done something very unique with uh, Big Pay. Do you want to talk a little bit about Big Pay? Yeah. Um... You know, just just to maybe go back a bit, uh, you know, I always wanted to control our distribution, and I always wanted. I didn't see the state of revolution 19 years ago. It wasn't that uh, uh, insightful or, or or prophetic. But I I wanted to keep the connection with my customer directly. I didn't want to go through an intermediary. So we fought. We have fought really hard over 19 years to keep that relationship with the customer. So with the, with the aim of actually selling more things to our customer, it was always the idea of selling hotels and ancillary income, et cetera. So um, that even today, after 19 years with so many great tech companies, uh, we still have 80% of our business through our own channels. And that enabled us to have a huge amount of data. Um, and, you know, maybe two or three years ago, I was having a discussion with Travis Kelnick, who wanted to do a, a partnership with us. And I thought, wow, he's worth like, you know, 20 times what we are. And yet he wants our data. And then I started this, this whole um, pivoting. And uh, the first product uh, we built was because, you know, payment in, a, in an airline is complicated with so many different countries, so many different jurisdictions, uh, FX, uh, different payment methodologies, different levels of uh, development of the banking system. And uh, we decided to uh, create our own payment system and, and created something called Big Pay, which is now evolving into a neo bank. And because of our huge data, we were able to, you know, in about 12 months, build uh, almost uh, 1.2 million customers. 
and it is, is now one of the most popular products in Malaysia. We've just launched in Singapore and we're about to do it in Thailand and Philippines. And so out of airline data, we've created a financial product and it's again matching the values of AirAsia, which is to serve the underserved, serve the common man. It's very hard to get a, a loan for the man on the street. Um, and if they do, they pay ridiculous interest rates. And so with the kind of data we have, we also believe we can give really respectable um, financing. We can, a lot of our people who fly us are migrant workers who uh, pay extortionate fees to, to send their money back to their home country. So we thought we could do it much cheaper, which we do. And uh, then there's a whole lot of our market that wants to, you know, you see this whole crazy revolution of Bitcoin. Um, but a lot of people want to invest some of their money. This younger generation want to invest. So we want to create products uh, for wealth management. And, and finally, insurance is an area that most of our part of the world because it's so young is underinsured. And so insurance is not highly penetrated. So we wanted to make easy products. Products, you know, has anyone ever read an insurance contract? No, because it's, in, it's, it's like in a point naught naught one font. And, uh, you know, does anyone trust their insurance company? Probably not. And so we have a radical solution of actually paying out, making it easy to claim um, and making it easy to understand the contract and in insurance. So we want to simplify uh, financial services in the same way we simplified the airline business um, and, and grew the market. It's not about taking existing customers. It's about growing the market and serving the underserved and uh, also small, medium enterprises, giving them a financial product. And so that's how Big Pay was born um, out of an airline. It's, it's amazing because uh, one of the things that you said in the past, Tony, is that, that tech, with tech, you now have the ability to beat the big boys and the big players in the market. Um, wh what advice would you give to somebody if they're in business right now? How do they transition and pivot that into tech? Yeah, um, well, you know, um, one of the great things about being an entrepreneur and starting up is that you're at the front of the curve in terms of the latest technology and you haven't invested in, in something which you're, sometimes you're a slave to. Um, so when I came into the airline business, we invested in you know, the first kind of cloud uh, in terms of an airline distribution system. The distribution system was in Salt Lake City and um, our uh, nearest kind of server was in Australia and we were the first airline in Southeast Asia using this system. But it enabled us to be very nimble. And I think the first thing about when you start a business and you're new versus the incumbents uh, is that you can get the very latest technology, which is generally cheaper than the incumbents, and you can react much quicker and build things much quicker. And so that's the same way. I'm, I'm tiny compared to Grab um, and tiny compared to some of the banks who have launched uh, neobanks, but our ability to adapt and change and build tech quickly and also um, having the ability to, to use our data and build on our customers that know us, give us the ability to compete. So the similarity for me, you know, people constantly are saying to me, how can you take on Grab? How can you take on Food Panda? You know, how can you take on these, these big tech companies? Who, who have so much money um, or given, you know, have big sugar daddies who are giving them huge amounts of cash. I think 
um, our ability to build our own channels, to reach our own market, use the latest tech, and uh, emulate them is exactly what we did with AirAsia. Look, AirAsia wasn't my idea. It was um, Ryanair, EasyJet, um, and Southwest. And then the, the granddaddy was Southwest. He, he was the, her Kelleher was the, the founder of the low-cost airline. Um, the founder of the super app was um, Mei Tuan and, and WeChat in China. And Grab and Gojek and all these guys have had their, their own versions. And then and we come along and, and pick and choose according to our customer database. And so pivoting into tech now, to answer your question directly, John, is easy. Uh, if you can see an airline such as ours that's carrying 80 million people but now feel confident to do food delivery, and today we launched our food delivery in Singapore, um, it's because of tech. And I think tech is a great leveler. Um, and that's what entrepreneurs should be very excited about, that you could be anyone and, uh, and, and do what we did um, in AirAsia. It was tech that got us to be able to compete with the massive Singapore Airlines, the most successful airline in Asia, if not the world. And yet we beat them at their own game in their own home market. Um, and it's tech that's giving me the confidence to be able to take on some of these massive companies such as Grab, uh, etc. Uh, so the beauty of tech is it's a leveler. Um, generally, you're going to get the latest generation, so it'd be one ahead of everyone else. And, um, you know, you can move quicker and stealthier. And, you know, it doesn't matter how small you are. You're looking at someone who came from the music business who started an airline uh, with two little planes, two little 737s, three days after 9-11 against massive state-owned airlines, such as Malaysian Airlines, Thai International, Garuda, and uh, Singapore Airlines, that was the most successful airline you know, in Asia, if not the world. And yet, we, you know, pre-COVID, we were the, the fourth largest airline in Asia. Uh, only the Chinese airlines were bigger than us, the three of them, but they had a slight advantage of 1.3 billion people in their country. Uh, so it can be done. And, you know, today when I did my first delivery a month ago on a bicycle, we were doing 20 orders a day. And one month later, we're doing 5,000 orders. And we're now in the next month going to launch in eight cities and uh, two countries. So tech is, has given me the confidence to go out and, and take, out, take on even the best. So it's, it, it should serve as an encouragement to everyone here who's, who's building a business. Great people. Um, please spend some money on branding and marketing and uh, tech will, will get you to the promised land. Oh, I love that you just said that, Tony. I love that. I keep telling people that. People keep, they want to spend money, but they, they want an instant ROI, but it doesn't work like that. You do have to put some money in. And I want to ask you, do you think entrepreneurs are born or made? Um, okay, that's, that's a damn good question. So I always loved the thought of an being an entrepreneur. My mother was an amazing entrepreneur. She could sell ice to an Eskimo. You know, she ended up selling Tupperware, and she could, you know, really was an amazing motivator. But I didn't think I had the, the balls to be an entrepreneur. I loved being in the corporate world. I liked flying first class, you know, having dinner with Madonna, and uh, getting a stable salary. And so um, I think it's a combination. I think it's got to be in you, um, but something's got to click. And then you say, look, I think I can do this better and I want to be my own boss. And I can tell you, I can tell you there's nothing better because than, than being your own boss. 
and living to the principles that you believed when you started this business, that you could help people, that you could make some dreams come true, and you could build a business. Uh, you have the power to do that when you're an entrepreneur. And, you know, in all these years in Malaysia and Southeast Asia, I've been fighting very hard to say entrepreneurs will change uh, the economic landscape of the country, not state-owned enterprises uh, and the like. So um, I'm not sure I've answered you because I don't think there's a, there's a, 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 I don't think you're born an entrepreneur because I wasn't born an entrepreneur. But um, it was in my body. I saw it. Um, but I, I, I suddenly, something clicked in 75 Rockefeller Plaza. And I thought I could do this better. And I could look after people better. And uh, I wanted to make a difference. And I didn't want to sit there at 55 and say, I wish I'd done it. Um, because you can't press the rewind button. So I think you can be made an entrepreneur. Um, but I think there's something that you have to be born with a little bit. I love that. Thank you so much. And yeah, it makes complete sense because we're talking about, you know, uh, like when I was at school, I, I, you know, my parents worked in the Chinese takeaway, Tony, and, you know, I didn't see my parents at the age of 11 years old. And, you know, when I was at school, I was, you know, selling my, I, I would take the Coke cans from my mom's Chinese takeaway and sell them. And then I would have these computer games. And I would sell the computer games and it, it kind of like, you're right. It's got to have that, that little spark inside you, but also a burning desire. Like I never saw my parents. I wanted to make enough money so my parents would never have to work again. And so you're absolutely right. It's having that little spark and that desire and that where when with you feel that with your passion and purpose and you can achieve anything. And I love, you know, your 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 quote that you always say that is is, you know, always always believe in yourself, you know, believe the unbelievable. And that's just, I, I'm, I'm going to quote you. I'm going to create a quote card, Tony. I'm going to tag you on my Instagram. <laughs> if you're okay with that. Yeah, no, I always, I always say, you know, I mean, AirAsia is, uh, the Chinese prime minister once said to me, AirAsia is a fairy tale. And I sat back and I thought, it is really actually, you know, who would think guys who are selling Phil Collins and Madonna suddenly owned an airline and changed flying forever. Uh, because there's so many other low-cost carriers that followed us. It isn't just AirAsia that's changed uh, the, the traveling landscape. Um, and so I always say believe the unbelievable. It, it's okay to dream. You know, in, in Asia, it's really tough. Parents want you to be a doctor, a lawyer. And, you know, I, from the moment I was born, I had a stethoscope around me, right? I think I came out of my mother's womb with a stethoscope. My first toy was a doctor's kit. You know, my father was a doctor, so I was brainwashed to be a doctor. And... Um, but I, I had a mind of my own and I was a rare Asian that was a little bit rebellious and I, and I fought the system in a very unpleasant way in some ways to, to my parents, but it turned out okay. So I always tell people, you know, believe the unbelievable, you know, dream the impossible and never take no for an answer because boy, you're going to be hit with many no's as an entrepreneur, you know, and don't listen to anyone, follow your heart because it's easy uh, you know, in, in Asia, you ask your grandmother, your grandfather, your friends, etc., and they're not going to give you the right advice because they would have been the entrepreneur. So, if you believe in something, go and do it. And if you fail, so what? At least you tried. Too many people worry about failure, and uh, you know, you learn the most when you fail. Actually, um, I mean, you don't want to make a habit of it, but, but failure is okay. And as I always say to people, and I've said it two or three times in this talk, you know, you want to do it because you, you don't want to sit there at 55 and, and say, I wish I'd, I'd done it because it's, it's, it's too late. You can't press that rewind button. You know, QPR has been a mixture for me and my partner, Ruben, 
and Amit of, of some amazing highs and some amazing lows. But, you know, it's a dream come true for me. Someone that was listening to BBC World Service on the radio, um, you know, shortwave radio. I don't think there's people old enough to know what shortwave radio is. And suddenly you're at the Etihad Stadium deciding whether we get relegated or Man City or Man United become the champions or roll on a few years later. You're at Wembley Stadium uh, standing on the pitch with 45,000 QPR fans singing your name because, you know, you've been totally outplayed by Derby. But Bobby Zamora has, has, has put a goal in and you're, you're back in the Premier League. Um, and yes, there could have been much better ways of, of using your money than buying a football club. But it was a dream. It was a passion um, from the days of reading Roy of the Rovers. And I was able to do that. So it's not always about, you know, success. It's about living your dreams and living your passions. You know what I love most about it? I mean, Tony, when I'm in Asia, I always fly to Asia, whether I'm going to Bali or Singapore or Malaysia. In fact, I'm actually half Malaysian. My wife's um, from Malaysia, oh, cool. actually. Yeah, oh, so... Cool. So Abakaba. <laughs> yeah, bye. <laughs> so the um, you know one thing I love most about Asia, like this is before I was vegan, but when I wasn't vegan, I always used to eat Uncle Chin's chicken rice. That I'd order, I'd order two of them every time I go on the flight, and it's just like like that. that that's why I bought the flights. The food's so good on the flight, so I appreciate you doing that, my friend. You know, un understanding your the the product really intimately leads you to understanding the customer. And I think understanding the customer is the most important thing. If, if you know what the customer wants, and it goes down to John, you know, I mean, many airlines spend a, a, a fortune getting chefs from all over the world to make their food on the plane, and it's generally rubbish, uh, while we just made simple food that we knew people would like. And so I think, what, you know, apart from what I said at the beginning about top line and the financial metrics of running a business, I think, um, and the branding and the marketing aspect, uh, people relationships is critical. Um, our partners 19 years ago, whether it's General Electric, whether it's Airbus, whether it's Credit Suisse, are still our partners now. And our customers who flew us 19 years ago are still flying us um, because we have we have understood them. So I think the principles, and I think you know both companies that you mentioned and you work for Swan, understand the customer better than anyone. Um, I think that those are the kind of key business traits of giving good product, but give good product is not about what you want. And sometimes too many people make things of what they think you want, make what people want, what the customer wants. So I think um, that's what's transcended everything that, that I've done. And, and obviously underlying everything is, is a real belief that branding is essential and branding is more than just the logo. Branding is what you stand for branding is what your people stand for and that you know the brand is from the ceo right down to the lowest level of the company everyone knows and lives that brand and so you know i can't i could i could spend five hours on brand and and i think too many companies miss the boat and and both the companies that you mentioned didn't miss the boat and that's why that that they keep getting better and better and better um because if your brand gets stale and tired and loses its customer then it's the first step uh, towards the end i hope i kind of answered that yeah so i mean i mean that's the very basic principle at the beginning was a low fare <laughs> so that was you know obviously they didn't fly because it was too expensive or um, many of the routes we went to were routes that all the traditional airlines didn't go to 
providing connectivity was one of the most amazing things we did. You know, we changed cities literally. Um, there was a city in Indonesia which had a population of, you know, three to four million that no one flew to. It's called Bandung. I used to record music there. And I said, why don't we fly there? And everyone looked at me and said, no one flew there. And I said, well, we're going to. And, uh, you know, that provided connectivity to a massive university population, a massive e-commerce population. And we went from one flight a day to 23 flights a day. And then every other airline copied us and they built a whole new airport um, and changed the whole tourism industry there. So uh, those are the kind of things that, um, you know, people miss uh, in terms of the simple things. So the very first simple thing was, you know, what, what did my customer want? They wanted a low fare because they couldn't afford flying. That was the, the basic principle. And then we added on all the other stuff. Um, I've always said humility is probably the most important aspect of an entrepreneur. Uh, and I hope, and it's best you ask my staff actually, but I'm the same person I was 19 years ago. Uh, and you know, I, I used to dress down. I never wore a suit because I wanted to look worse than my staff so there wouldn't be this distance between myself and my staff. Um, and that if I looked terrible, they'd feel very comfortable talking to me at, at every level. Um, it caused me problems in Malaysian airports because they thought I was an illegal immigrant most of the time wandering around the airport. But uh, humility is very important. I saw so many entrepreneurs that started with me that suddenly had loads of PAs and bodyguards um, and had lost that connection with their customers and their people. And, and to this day, 19 years on, I will walk the plane and I'll meet every single passenger um, and get their feedback and take photographs. And uh, I think it's such an important part of your job that you don't lose your sense of reality. And I always say to my staff, as soon as you start believing your own press and you think you're more important than you actually are, that's the beginning of the end. So uh, I, I think being an entrepreneur is about remain, remaining humble, keeping your feet on the ground and remaining real. I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Tony. Um, okay, we've got a question here on Instagram, then we'll move over to, over to uh, Farouk. Uh, this is from Toby. Toby says, this is on Instagram, what gets you going forward slash moving during times and how do you process your thoughts? All right. Wow. <laughs> um, you know, uh, what gets me moving is, is the energy of my people and the energy of my customers and and building and innovating. And I mean, wow, we're going through the toughest time of our life right now. I have most of my planes sitting on the ground um, and I'm trying to build all these new businesses. But uh, it's, it's, it's the people uh, that keep me energetic. Uh, you know, we've lost 2000 staff through redundancy and I've got to ensure that I hire them all back because they were amazing staff who did nothing wrong. And just COVID has caused this kind of calamity. So that, gets me going, that gets my energy going. And then the process of thought, that's an interesting one because I'm always thinking, I'm always, you know, listening, reading, hearing my staff, getting feedback, reading emails, and, you know, I'm constantly processing thoughts. Um, and I think the important thing is I act quickly. Um, I, I, I send a message. I think the power of, of uh, connectivity now really can make you a very efficient manager. It probably drives my staff crazy sometimes, but uh, I, I like to implement quickly. I like to process thoughts quickly and not every thought is a good thought. And I'd like people to come back to me and they'll, they'll say, no, that's a really stupid idea, Tony. 
Um, but to keep, uh, I think, the ability to change and to, the ability to keep thinking and reinventing yourself is critical. So I'm constantly thinking and constantly coming up with ideas um, uh, to, to, to make AirAsia better or to deal with this massive crisis that we're in. Um, and then I talk a lot with the staff. I'm, I'm a big believer in um, uh, connectivity uh, through chat. Uh, and so I, I think email is prehistoric. I think it's a very old fashioned way of communicating. If I could get rid of email, I do. So we, you know, we use Workplace. We built our own social media with a fantastic Thai company called Eco, uh, which is a project and a chat management program. So, you know, I quickly set up a chat group and we're very agile in that way. And we have a discussion, we talk about it, and then we, we act quickly. And we act quickly even when we make a mistake. There's no ego there. If we, if we screw up, we say we screwed up. So um, process of thought is generated quickly. Lots of ideas. You're always thinking. Um, and then you act on it and you, you send out a message quickly. I hope I answered your question. Yeah, that was amazing. Thank you, Tony. You know, I used to have a run-in battle with the Singapore government. Um, we used to constantly argue with airports, like we still do, 20, 20 years on. And, of course, I had battles with, 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 the, with the national airline, Malaysian Airlines. Um, I, think, you know, I think I just spoke my mind. And in Malaysia... That was a new concept, you know, that you, you, you could take on and, and say what you wanted. And, you know, I, I, I still have many civil servants and, and political leaders who, who don't like me very much because of, of the way I am. I may be mellowed a bit, but at the beginning, I really went out there and, and, and said what many people believed, but didn't say it. Um, and even, even recently, actually, with, with my good mate, Nazir Razak on Clubhouse, you know, I, I saw someone commenting on Twitter that it was refreshing to hear people talk the way we did. Um, so I've always believed that. And that was deemed controversial, you know, uh, speaking your mind and, and saying those things. And, and of course, it gave us a lot of airtime, but it resonated with the people. It resonated with the masses and we became an incredibly popular product, um, not only because of our fares, but because we seem to be fighting for the common man and, and speaking a lot of a lot of sense. So, um, you know, not, not, nothing more than that, you know, apart from just, you know, speaking your mind. It's not all, I mean, the, the days I'm sure many QPR fans want to hang me and, 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 and crucify me personally, but it is still one of the highest of the highs when things go well. And it's a dream. So you live your dreams and, you know, it doesn't matter whether you succeed or fail, you, you live your dreams. And again, we, we, we try to leave QPR better uh, club you know, for the future. So that, that's, that's the dream and that's the ambition of me and Ruben and Amit. So let's see. Let's see. But that, that woman point is really important as well. And I'm glad you brought it up because it's not just about pilots. If, if you look at the senior management of AirAsia, you know, I just sit there and say, why do you exclude 50% of the population and so we're a hundred percent meritocracy and you know we have every race creed color religion age sex we don't care as long as you have the ability to be the best and we probably have the highest number of ceos of, of women in, in 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 an asian company uh my mother was amazingly powerful my daughter is a big influence in my life um but it's not a it's not, nothing positive uh, there's no positive discrimination it's just a meritocracy and uh, we're proud of what we've done. And I think companies 
who uh, don't view that and and or just do it for tokenism is missing out on 50% of the talent of the world, which is uh, crazy to me. So thank you for bringing that up as well. Yeah, I just uh, that's what I love about this platform. You know, I just I just it's just such a good way to get information to people from people who have been there, done that, and if it can save a lot of heartache for everybody, because. You know, Tony, you'll agree with this, that, that entrepreneurship is tough, it's hard, you know, it's not easy by by any means. And, you know, you're, you're, you're running <laughs> an airline, which is, is with 20,000 employees, it's, it's just, I mean, it's a lot of work. And I really just love getting people and, and having them share their experiences so everybody can can learn from that so we can evolve a lot faster. So Farouk, thank you so much. By the way, Tony Farouk, is, we call him the breaking news dealer when Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg came on. He runs those rooms, overflow rooms, and has some amazing rooms. So yeah, oh, wow. he's, he's doing some great cool. stuff. <laughs> thank you, Farouk, right. great to meet you. You know, we're, we're, we're trying to do it in financial services now that um, John uh, talked about. But there was one industry that, you know, I, I, I always kind of, talked about and because my dad was involved I suppose is the health industry um, I've always felt that there's a room for a value hospital a low-cost hospital and I think the whole health system needs massive disruption um, the state can never look after everybody private medicine is is just too expensive for the most and so I think there's an opportunity to create um, a kind of erasure for health what does that mean does that mean you know halfway through your operation, I'm going to say, sorry, you've got to pay up as you run out of cash. Uh, I'm not going to stitch you up. Doesn't mean I give you half a Panadol. No, it's about efficiency. If you think about a low-cost carrier, um, AirAsia doesn't have business class and first class and um, wide-body aircraft. It has a very simple operation. And uh, again, hospitals try to do everything. And, you know, really 80% of people are having 20% of the diseases. So I think there's a huge opportunity to bring down um, health cost uh, mixed with an, an insurance scheme uh, to give much higher productivity and to give much better value to hospitals. You see elements of it in India with heart. You see you see a little bit with Orbis actually with with eye surgery. Um, and so I really think that uh, the world has failed in 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 looking after people properly. And then COVID is a wonderful example, unfortunately. Um, and, and I think that it is ripe for disruption, the health industry, uh, from pharmaceuticals, from the cost of drugs, from the distribution of drugs, from the size of rooms, from the fact that doctors are almost a trade union and many things could be done by, by a senior nurse, um, you know, down to the, the way they, they move you up in, in, a, in a wheelchair on a hospital bed. Uh, the bureaucracy of hospitals is, is amazingly wasteful. And uh, and so that's always been in my mind that you know that there's a there is a space um, for a low cost value hospital um, that could take away um, the pain from the state because no state system has really been able to look after its people. Uh, that's a little bit um, um, more expensive than the state system, but still very affordable for the masses um, and a lot cheaper than the private health system, uh, private system. So. That's been in my in my thought process. I appreciate that. You know, impact is is you know when we, when we started as a small little airline, our impact was was one create a company that is a meritocracy, and allows people 
uh, allows us to turn them from raw diamonds to diamonds and allows them to to dream and reach their ambition. A, a company that really, really celebrates talent. That was the first kind of goal of ours. Um, and that was impactful to the first 200 employees who um, many of them are still with us. And then it was the impact of the tagline, now everyone can fly. Uh, and so it wasn't about, you know, it was about bringing the cost down, but also, as I said, going to places that, that airlines just didn't go to and providing that connectivity and allowing community. So, you know, and, and if you think of, you know, we, we had the tsunami in our part of the world and uh, no airline uh, was flying to Aceh and Aceh was, 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 you know, the whole town was washed away. And I said to my guys, we have to connect that community. We have to find a way. And, uh, you know, they said, well, what impact is that going to make? I said, it's going to make a massive impact because it's going to tell them the world is coming to them and the world can come to Aceh and, and help them. And I said, there are tons of um, uh, well, volunteers who want to get to Aceh to help them, but you know, there's just no connectivity. So we put the flight on and very soon it was two flights a day and it was exactly that. That, that little, little bit of, of impact created a massive impact to the, the city of Aceh, which had lost hundreds of thousands of people through the tsunami. And then other airlines came and, and the city started to rebuild. So, um, you know, there are hundreds of ways, but you can always make an impact. You can always, always, always make an impact. And, um, you know, start small. And no matter how small it is, um, have a reason for existing that's beyond just making a profit. Um, of course, you have to make a profit, you know, because then you won't be around. Um, but uh, go in there with the, the right reasons for starting out the business, whether it's to help people uh, build their careers, whether it's to help your customers, um, and, and you can make an impact. But have that in your ethos. I mean, that's my belief. Uh, from for, for me, it's, it, I'm a very simple person, and I love life. Um, I've had stresses like no one can believe. You know, I mean, we lost an aircraft in Indonesia, which was which continues to be the worst experience of my life. Uh, from you know, you couldn't you couldn't be responsible for losing people's lives in the in the record business, but in the airline business, you do. Um, and you sit there and think, you know, why are you doing this? But there was a reason for that. Um, and the way we managed it maybe changed uh, many things. Uh, so for me, the meaning of life is really to get the most out of your life. You know, someone somewhere gave you an opportunity to have a life. Uh, you can, and and for, for me, you put on earth and you make the most of your time on earth. You try to be as impactful. You try to enjoy your life. You try to make a difference um, and you have fun. I think it's much more, positive it's much it's much better to have a positive view of life than a negative view of life many people just moan and groan and blame other people but for me it's you know covid is here we've got to live with it and we just made the best of it and we we've turned a negative into a positive um and you know so for me the meaning of life is you've been given a life make the most of it be grateful you have it and be positive and live every day like it's your last day um because life is wonderful. Um, you know, I, I am probably a bit overweight and I've been sitting here thinking as an over 55 year old that boy, 
I was given a nice body. I was a great sportsman in a different body. And I've kind of lost it. And I thought, you know, someone gave me a nice body and I screwed it up. So I'm really, really determined to get my body back. Now, it's tough. <laughs> it's tough uh, as a 57-year-old, 56-year-old, soon to be 57. But I'm going to give it a shot. And I'm cycling and I'm playing golf again. And I'm at the gym and I'm watching what I eat. Um, you know, so for me, the meaning of life is make the most of, of your life. Love that. And then, um, actually, Tony, next time you're in London, um, send me a WhatsApp and uh, we can go for a training session with, with one of my, my trainers here. So you definitely get you into shape <laughs> if you want. Done, that. done, done. And we'll bring you down to Loftus Road. You, you, said, you, were from Burn, you said you were from Burnley, right? Yeah, you got yeah. Char- you got Charlie Austin back, who, who, oh. was at, who was at Burnley, and he's been a top man since he, he's come back from West Brom. So, uh, you know, there's a positive, man. And there's a, there's a positive impact to the club. Love that. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate that. Right? You know, and I'm going to ask it as transparently as I can. There were so many mentors for me. You know, um, obviously, Branson was an impact to me. Many business leaders, uh, my own staff. I, I, I kept learning so much. Um, so I don't think one mentor can really get you there. And so, you know, I've always said at AirAsia that many Asian companies, you know, it's like the top 10 decide everything and the rest are implementers. But i rather have, you know, 20 or thousand brains working for me. So I get inspired by things every day and people every day. So I, I have so many mentors. And, and Tony Fernandez is what I am as, as of now, and there's still so much to learn is a culmination of learning and asking and talking and you know just just over the last few days i've been reading about john lee um and and he's given me a lot of inspiration and just his energy and drive on on clubhouse and his passion to get people involved is is inspirational to me so no one mentor life um is really a a mentorship you keep learning as long as your mind is open and you don't lose your humility and you're willing to learn from anyone, you keep getting mentors. And I keep having mentors. And, you know, John's a, a new mentor. I was, I was reading about, you know, Swan, what a great name, by the way, um, and Farouk. So, you know, every day I learn more and more about people and, and I get inspired. So I never stop having mentors. Um, and I think mentorship is the most important thing. Uh, you know, the day you stop learning is the day you die. So, uh, um, you know, I don't have particularly one guy, um, but but a, a whole host of people. If if you can look at Ryan, and I mean, the first low-cost airline I flew was Ryanair. Um, I uh, came to Dublin, um, met a, a future partner of mine, Conor McCarthy. I stayed in the the, the Clarence, because I knew the guys who owned the hotel, got completely drunk in the kitchen. And uh, the next morning uh, flew um, on uh, Ryanair and thought I would land in Paris and was actually in Beauvais, which they said was Paris, which is about 100 miles from Paris. Uh, yeah, correct. So, uh, but I was blown away by how O'Leary ran it. And um, so to answer your question very quickly, simplicity and common sense and avoiding complexity and, and focus. So, you know, to run an airline which has first class and economy and 
and one minute you have an A380 and the next minute you have to worry about a turboprop is a massively complex business. And that's why airlines have been very low returners of capital versus low cost carriers that have a very simple model. So um, in, in, in one major point, it's simplicity. And then I think in AirAsia's case, culture was so important. Um, so, so important in terms of the fact that, you know, our staff have the highest productivity because they have the right culture, the best communication. Our pilots are as close to engineers in many airlines. Pilots are one gang, engineers are another gang, cabin crew are a third gang, and so on and so forth. So I think culture is, is, is critical in AirAsia's case. Um, so simplicity, culture um, would be the two things in my mind. Paul, and you know you have a, an amazing and wonderful country, which I owe a lot to, um, and I, I, I look forward to coming back to Ireland soon. You know, I signed the cause um, in Galway, and if you remember that band, the, the cause, yeah. the three, the three sisters, and uh, I signed. Uh, obviously, I know you too and stuff. So I've had many, 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 many great Irish acts, and it's an amazing country, and I miss it. I think mindset is, and I, I keep talk, I kept talking about being positive. Mindset is ninety percent of the game. If, if you know, if you have a positive attitude and you have a right mindset, and you know, I, I had a note from a cabin crew the other day who I'd never met, and she said, you know, I haven't met you, but obviously I, I, I read a, I read things you write, etc., and you just give me positivity in what is the worst time of my life, and. I'm optimistic that we're going to beat this and we're going to come around to it. So I think mindset is so important as an entrepreneur because, boy, there's some really, really dark days as an entrepreneur. But you've just got to keep positive and you've just got to keep energetic and you've got to keep your staff motivated, you know. Um, and so I, you know, I, I, I couldn't. I mean, that's a great, great point that you brought up, Gary. Mindset is critical. Perfect. Thanks for answering that, Tony. I always wanted, I always aspired to be something and to contribute something and to make a difference. I always loved planes. And, uh, um, you know, with, with my dad, my mum used to fly around a lot. We'd, all, we'd be a bit of a plane spotter and I'd always go to the airport. I always loved planes. And I always thought planes, I always loved people. And I thought planes were a great way of making people happy and connecting and bringing families together. Um, I always thought I could achieve something. I wasn't a great student, um, but I always thought I could achieve something. And you know, I'll tell you the story, um, which I, I was sent to boarding school when I was 12 years old, 13 actually, and uh, my parents obviously didn't like me that much. So they packed me off from Malaysia to, to England. And I had never been to England before, and my father thought I was a mummy's boy, which I was. So he he just gave me um, X number of pounds and put me on a Qantas Airlines flight and uh, packed me off to, to England. And I remember arriving in England and thinking, God, everyone's white here. Um, but now if you arrive in England at Heathrow Airport, everyone's Indian. So the world has changed. And I, I um, you know, took a bus because uh, my father said, no one's going to meet you. You've got to make a man of yourself. <laughs> took a bus from Heathrow Airport, which is a huge airport, and, and arrived at Epsom College and thought, Jesus Christ, what have I done wrong in my life? Um, it looked like a prison camp, but I loved it. And they gave you this box. 
they gave me this box, uh, which was called a tuck box, where you put your life's possessions in them. And it was not a very big box. And maybe like three weeks into that, I kind of started dreaming about what I wanted in life. And uh, I put three stickers on, on that box. And, uh, you know, maybe 20 years later, my best friend called me up one day in London and said, hey, Tony, I found your tuck box in, in my garage. You know, I'll send it. Can I send it to you? And I was had just started AirAsia, maybe a few years into AirAsia. And the box arrived and it was very emotional for me when I saw that box. As a 13-year-old, I put my three dreams on there. There was a Qantas airline sticker because I always wanted to start an airline. Always wanted to start an airline. Um, there was a Williams Formula One sticker because I loved motor racing and, and wanted to own a, a, a racing team, which I did, which I spectacularly failed in, um, but I did it. And on the third sticker was um, West Ham United which was a football club that I used to support until coming to QPR. And inside the box was a music cassette, an original music cassette, ABBA, I think it was, an electric light orchestra. Um, and I thought, that's my life. Those are my dreams as a 13-year-old. Did I think I would achieve that? No, I don't think so. I don't think as a 13-year-old I thought I'd own a, a, a football club Formula One team or an airline, but I dreamt about it. And I think by dreaming about it, who knows where that can take you. To, to get you to where you want to be, you have to have aspiration, you have to have dreams. Did I believe I'd make those dreams? Probably not. In fact, I know not. But I, I dreamt and I had that ambition. And uh, I was lucky enough to, to, to live all those passions in my life racing, football, airlines, and music. Um, you know, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, and there are many people who'd like to drive that bus, um, I would have lived a great life, and I had no regrets. So um, I hope I've answered you, Amy. I don't think I knew that I was going to end up the way I was. I thought I'd, I'd make something of my life, and I was going to be, I always thought I'd be positive, And because I love people so much, I would achieve something in life. Did I think I'd achieve all my dreams as a 13-year-old? No, but I had those dreams. And I think if you start off in your life with those dreams, that's half the battle. Love that. I love that. Just, just while it wasn't a question, I, I think it's so critical in this day and age uh, when, we, when we see extreme political views and, and, and stuff that we're all humans and, you know, I, I can't change the world but I can certainly influence my company. And I think inclusion is the very bedrock of what we believe in and that everyone's the same. It doesn't really matter what race, we color, religion you are. And we just want a meritocracy and we want people to love coming to work and enjoying coming to work and believing they can achieve anything. So inclusion is the very bedrock of what AirAsia is. Um, to your question, which I love, uh, music is, is 100% what I am. It's music that's made me. Uh, I'm a musician, uh, you know, I, I probably have like, Christ knows how many records and CDs, you know, 15,000, I, I still am, I, I'm, you know, I'm still up with every, every music trend, um, you know, when you're trying to promote an artist, it is the toughest marketing and branding job in the world, 
and so you cut your teeth in the music business. You become, you become a good marketeer, because you're competing with you know for radio airplay for now streams, with millions and millions of songs and millions of artists, um, and you're competing for the attention of uh, someone to listening to music that has so much choice. Uh, so I cut my teeth in music, and I cut my teeth on my culture. The music culture is creative; it's open. Um, yes, there's some feudal feudalism in there for sure. Um, certainly, in my days, there were some very, very powerful guys in the music business who were almost like emperors. Um, but the general feeling was one of equality and openness and uh, creativity. So, hundred percent, everything you see in Erehija down to our, from my in-flight music, down to the fact that we play the blues when oil price is high and we play rock and roll when uh, oil price is low. We have the best parties in the airline industry. You know, we bring down Tiesto and Martin Garrix and Will, Will I Am is a dear friend of mine. And, uh, you know, we, we, we let it loose. And this year, unfortunately, is the first year we haven't been able to do that. But... Um, I would say, you know, I am who I am because of the music industry, 150%. You know, my, and what we're doing it now, my, my, my aim is to help musicians and, and, and to, to, to help my part of the world get music out. And, and EDM is one of those great levelers that you can bring that music across. Um, and just before, you know, my dream was to bring a Tomorrowland style concert down to, to my part of the world, a festival, sorry. Wow. Um, you know, the, the, the Koreans have done an amazing job in promoting music around the world. And uh, we have such great talent in Southeast Asia. That's that's my ultimate, ultimate dream. We've set up another small record company again in partnership with Lucian at Universal, Lucian Grange. And, uh, you know, we, we, we dream. We dream big. But music is 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 my life. And, and Air Asia is very much a musical airline as much as an airline. So, Tony, I just want to say thank you to you as well. I mean, you have, I, mean, I know we, it's super late for you out in, in Asia right now, and I, I so appreciate your time in, in doing this. Tony, we're going to give you the final words to, um, I guess, what's your words of wisdom to everybody? I and mean, what words could you say to them to just really leave them with that power to, to execute and to just follow their dreams? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with what I always say when I, when I sign things, you know, believe the unbelievable never take no for an answer and a dream the impossible anything's possible if you put your mind to it you know you're looking at a guy who was selling records that's running an airline that's trying to trying to run a football club and at the same time start a bank um but with the same ethos of of making an impact and serving the underserved um and just stay humble and enjoy life you're lucky to be alive and make the most of it and it's been a great honor meeting so many people, especially John. You know, I think you, you're an amazing guy. And, uh, you know, Peter Lehman always, who's on this chat, um, it's it's kind of a little bit funny for me. And that's what's so great about this thing, Clubhouse. We've When we first went into T-Mobile, we were talking about John and saying, this is a great brand. And here I am finally getting to meet him. So, you know, dreams come true, even for me, to meet uh, such a formidable guy who created such a, such a great brand. And thanks to you, John. Thanks um, for your patience and uh, for your love of what you do. You're an inspiration to all of us. Uh, good night, everybody. And uh, when flying starts, fly AirAsia. Bye-bye. <laughs>